0: This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I have a human behavior hacker on the line with us today. Susan Ibitz, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. What in the world is a human behavior hacker?
1: Well, uh, I always say the same. For two years, I was trying to come up with a better. Uh, titled in coach because if you google coach you're gonna to have to have like 10 million hits so uh, for two years i was asking my clients and my friends like if you need to define what i do if you need to talk about me and i'm not present what you're gonna say and one friend who worked on in computers and, and, and technology technologies well you're a human behavior hacker and after that i became like you're right some people hack computers, I hack humans. So you, you can define me as a profiler, as a coach, and as a person who use behavior to help people to become better, to help teams, sales teams, and managers to use behavior to, who basically is a science, to fix problems that maybe cannot be fixed in another way.
0: Well, the behavior angle is perfect because In my research, working with uh, Facebook and people on social media and one-on-one through coaching, it's the behaviors um, that are creating the challenges that they're facing. Now, when you first mention that to them, sometimes they get a little irate because they're like, wait a minute, are you saying it's me? And, And I politely say, yeah. It is uh, your behavior has created this situation. Now, yes, there's other facets to it. There's other people at play, but it's the behaviors of all of us that create these scenarios that we find ourselves in.
1: I base everything that I do in studies, and I I read a study like six months ago who says that that says that sixty uh, percent of the managers they are put on the position without any kind of training or knowledge of what they need to to do. For example, I was talking with a sales manager. And first of all, he's really depressed because he loved to be on the street selling. And because he was so good selling, they assume he's gonna be good training other people how to sell so he's good at what he does but he doesn't know how to transfer that to others so he says well i have a problem with all my team and says if you have 25 people under your team and all of them have a problem maybe the problem is you and it's really difficult for manage managers to accept that. So what we did is simple. When you say that your doors are open, they need to physically be open. When somebody come with a, a problem or a question, don't tell them, well, come up with the solution and when you have it, come to my office, because they're never going to come and make questions. And questions are part of the process of learning. When you're talking to your people, look in the eye of your people, open your hands, get a physical posture where make people approach to you. In three months that we were coaching him, he become to having 25 people who didn't do the job to have it one of the units more productive on the company. How? changing the body language, the way he talked to people, and the open position to come to me with problems, because I'm going to help you with the solution.
0: I love that, and you're spot on when it comes to managers not getting training. You know, The research that uh, Dr. Arlene Battisil and I did when we were writing Preemptive Strike Leadership, it, it came through loud and clear that there's so many managers across the globe that are in positions that they significantly don't have the skill set at this moment to be able to do their job. And it creates some really interesting dynamics. I I, I think the workforce burnout that we see all the time in, in the media is heavily caused by the conditions in the workplace. And these conditions include managers that basically drowning because they're trying to figure out how to do their job. They weren't given any type of professional development to speak of unless they were really proactive and went out on their own and and kind of fumbled through learning how to be a manager, learning how to be a leader. And for some people that it's not as easy as it is to others. So uh, I, I love that component to it. Uh, and I, I think if organizations could get that under control and actually prepare their management to be better managers. I think a lot of the issues and the behavior problems that we're facing in society today would significantly be reduced if, if, if people are actually put in the right spot and provided the right amount of training that they need in order for them to be successful.
1: The traditional training that we used to have five to 10 years ago for sales team, for example, I always say, I don't teach your team to sell. I cannot sell myself, even my life depends on it. What I teach you are uh, behavioral techniques, how to make first impression. For example, today, 90% of the people check online you and your product before they're going to buy so if they don't trust you, if they don't respect you, they're not going to buy your product. You can have the best of all, but if they don't feel connected with you, it's not going to work. So how you interact with people, how you use behavior in order to establish a communication with the, with the people is the way you're going to sell, the, 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 the way you're going to connect. now bigger the organization, more difficult is to make them understand they have a problem because they keep selling because the money keep coming from the funnel. They don't understand that that money is coming from the funnel because it's like a wheel, it's function. But in some point the wheel is gonna break and they don't understand that today, we need to use science, apply, things that before we did by a, a workbook and a simple class, when people get a training after six hours of training, they're only gonna retain thirty percent of the things they learn. Why? Because what you need to change is behaviors, their habits. So when I talk to people and it says, "It's not only." Then I can and train your team. We need to make a follow-up in three and six months to make sure those behavior they didn't work, now they're our own place. Why? Because as a human being, as an adult, when you hit your 2022 and you have certain behaviors and those behaviors working, how are you gonna make that person rewire and and make it understand that even is a better way to do the things, even though they're functioning.
0: I rewired myself at forty, and that's not easy. So yeah, I had you know, four decades worth of programming in my head, and of course had some significant burnout in a year of pretty traumatic losses. And thankfully, you know, I survived all of those but I realized that the way that I was going about my life was not going to be sustainable for me for the long run. So I need to make changes and I did and dramatically uh, some significant changes in my life, both physical, mental changing from a people pleaser to making sure that I take care of myself first and, and a variety of other things. And it made a huge difference, but I know it wasn't easy.
1: Do you know the 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 theory I, I always says when when people is like oh I'm taking care I do face reading face reading is the art to read the features on your face and there are certain features then by the way you have in your face that is roundness. this so everybody who have round features in their face they're givers. They're taking care of other people. Uh, and because you have a baby face, it's drawn people talk to you and get to you and want to share their problems with you. And like people like you, I always says the same when I start working with them. I don't do a lot of coach 101, except there is management. I do more group training. I always says, if you're going in a plane with a three years old and it's an accident and only one gas mask, fell from the roof. Who are you gonna give the gas, ma- gas uh, mask, ma- Michael?
0: If you would ask me that question yeah, years ago, um, I would have quickly said to you know, somebody else. This time, I guess, you know depending on who's on the flight, if there's a family member, if I had to pick one family member, I know who I would give it to. Um, if it wasn't any family members, um, I, would, I would give it to me and put it on myself because it you know it I see it and I would resonate with that going okay I need uh, to continue living for some reason there's obviously a reason for it so I'm going to put it on me first and then that way with the oxygen I can look and see okay is there a way that I can save people even though they don't have the oxygen mask you know that's that the people pleaser kind of kicks back in a little bit but now I'd want to put it on myself
1: well you did the right answer because if you give, for example, the mask to a three-year-old, it's not going to know what to do. If you put the gas mask to yourself first, is when you're going to be better prepared to help others. So when you're trying to please everyone, you're trying to uh, make everybody happy, you're not happy, you're dying on the process, and it's going to happen consequences in yourself so taking care of yourself is not selfishness is not narcissist is i'm my first client i'm my first important person because if i don't wake up in the morning feeling happy and doing what i need, need to do i cannot keep my team keep my customers and the lifestyle that i want so taking care of yourself some people think is selfish i think is the first step to happiness
0: it is. It is. And I have found that since I've shifted from being a people pleaser so much to making sure that I'm taking care of myself first. And, and, and when I do that, you know, it's you know, from a physical, mental, spiritual, the whole whole gambit. I find that when I am serving others or giving to others, that it's coming from a place that I'm fulfilled, full of energy. And they're getting a better version of me than they would have before uh, because I haven't stretched myself too thin. And this is something that is a daily exercise. It's not something like, okay, well, I'm just going to do that, take care of myself and everything. No, it's, it's daily. Uh, and there are going to be ebbs and flows that I've noticed in my life where some days are a little bit better than others. And there are some days where my energy levels are better than others. And I know that because I document it, I track it down. I have a food journal, I have an energy journal, I do all these uh, energy journal. and all of these things uh, are important to me because I can notice trends, and it allows me to go, okay, um, for some reason, my energy level has been a little bit lower this month. What's going on? And there could be external factors, you, know, such as you know I'm based in Toronto uh, at the moment, so When you're in Toronto in the wintertime, at the time of this recording, we don't get a lot of real vitamin D. So, you know, it's a lot of cloudy days and sometimes that has an impact. So I make sure that I'm doing everything I can from a nutritional standpoint to keep my levels at a a level that uh, I'm getting more energy. And when I feel down, then I know the things that I need to do in order to bring those uh, energies back up.
1: Well, you know that it's um, seasonal uh, depression and winter. I'm in Chicago. And for example, today we have like five inches of snow. It's really dark. I don't remember seeing the sun for like the last 10 days. And I was talking with friends who are extremely extrovert and they like to go out. And they like, and they always say the same. Uh, the three months of winter we have, I get in this depression. Well, it's it is a depression who... Even though there are medications, some people take medication during the winter when it's dark in places like where you live or, or, or here in Chicago because it's really affecting your mood. It's it's,
0: yeah.
1: it's happening. It's not, it's not in your head. It's happening to you. And you know what? When you were talking about changes, I don't recall ever from somebody famous to a CEO or somebody who is successful who didn't have a burnout who fail more than one time until they get it right and the reason they get it right is because they fail because they make mistakes when i talk to someone and says how you become who you are and they says oh i was like from this to this okay wait wait I wanna hear the part where you fail and you have problems because that's who make you who you are. Oprah Winfrey, uh, whoever you're gonna talk from famous, again, from famous to people who who have big companies who are successful, everybody have a failure. That's the point of breaking where you make yourself better. Why? How are you gonna tell someone? How are you going to train someone? How are you going to tell someone to become better if you cannot relate with failing? You cannot relate to be in that position where you was clueless and you didn't know where to run to.
0: Failure is crucial. And you know we're starting to see, and although it's not as prevalent as it should be, but we're starting to see more and more people recognize that failing. And I've seen titles such as fail forward or, you know, fail, you know, more type of things. And the purpose of it is, is figuring out what doesn't work. And, you know, I look back at my career and all of the missteps or failures or bad decisions or whatever happened. I look at those and they're, yes, they're a part of me. I don't dwell on them, but I've learned from them. So I know. Okay, don't do that again, or okay, maybe approach the situation differently. Um, you know, and 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 even though you may do something completely different, the outcome may end up being the same. But again, you you learning from it. And I think at the end of the day, we want to figure out you know what's the best version of us. How can we navigate through things so we are serving whoever we're serving well, but of course, taking care of ourselves first. And, you know, taking those experiences and learnings of a failure to demonstrate, and I love the exercise or the examples you gave, you know, with everybody, and I I just, as you were mentioning names, I was just thinking of other uh, people as well that have struggled in life and now are what, you know, people would view as being on top of the world. It's like, yeah, they weren't always on top of the world. You know, They had to go through a lot of crap in order to get there. And if they didn't go through that crap, I could all but guarantee that they wouldn't be where they're at right now. It just wouldn't happen.
1: I always did give the example, Coco Chanel never went to college and she did her first dress when she was 40. And she was the only person on the world who died being the solely owner and manager of her on company. On a time when women weren't allowed to dress pants, she changed the way women dress, she changed the, the way women manage company, and she did it by herself when she was 40. That is a woman that I admire extremely because she became from nothing to something. Margaret Thatcher, She trained herself, she was a mother, a wife, and she was putting on the place that she was when all the odds against her. She was well-educated, but she failed a couple of times until she get where she is. So we need to look back on story and see where, okay, you admire someone, grab the biography, read how they get there, because I have news for you. The definition of uh, the, of insane is to wake up every morning doing the same and looking for a different outcome.
0: Yeah, the world is rich of people that overcame some significant challenges and made a huge global impact and in, in their various industries, whether it's government leaders like Thatcher or Churchill or... You know, you know, famous you know, authors and, and people that are influencing the world. Oprah Winfrey, again, is a great example, you know, and, and her story on the challenges that you know, she faced to the impact that she has today. And it's, it, it's one of those things where everybody thinks, well, that, I couldn't do that. It's like, yeah, you can. The world needs each of us to find our sweet spot and how we are going to dramatically impact, you know, the lives of others. It may not be millions. It may not be billions. It may only be your neighborhood. But if you make your neighborhood better because of your efforts, you've impacted so many lives. And that has such a huge ripple effect on, on everyone around you.
1: And we need everything in society. And I repeat the same example because I think is the most Most strong to understand. You have a you have a burnout. You the city is completely no phone working, nothing working. You have a person who need a heart transplant, and you have the best surgeon, and they're an opposite part of the city, and you have only one taxi driver. Who is the most important person at that point? the taxi driver who gonna get the doctor to the person who needs the heart transplant. So a society requires absolutely every piece in order to function. For example, myself, I know I never gonna cure cancer. I cannot uh, bring peace to the world, but I can do small things like you says in my community and I do a lot of pro bono and sometimes my my business partner says, "Why are you wasting your time like that 's the problem with you i 'm not wasting my time it 's one of the most rewarding classes that I give because that the people who are in that, those classes participate, they do the homework." way more engaged than the people who sometimes pay for the classes and the satisfaction to see them walking and getting jobs and after years still receiving emails or send calling me for my birthday and thanking for the knowledge I give that's the difference again I'm never going to cure cancer I see blood and I fell on the floor
0: yeah, I barely passed biology, and I honestly think that Mr. Burrell only passed me because he didn't want to see me again next year. Um, so yeah, I'm on a, Now, ironically, I worked in healthcare for over a dozen years. Now I was in administration, so I didn't get too close to open wounds and, and the delivery of care, but I was still you know, in that environment, which I, I, I still kind of giggle at this day that it's like, how in the world did I end up in that field? I know how I did. It was a, a series of uh, events and steps that I took and and other things that I did in life that uh, created the opportunity for me to you know, start my career in healthcare. And And I, I will say it was definitely adventures. Uh, there was no shortage of adventure and fun and games. And um, the people that know me know when I say fun and games, I'm being kind of sarcastic, but that's another story for another day. Uh, but I think w- one thing that I was gonna ask you too is, in, in hacking someone's behavior how how do you find people um, when you first approach them with with this concept of of hacking their behavior and because I think if, if you use the c word which is called change I, I think people run and hide because for some reason people are allergic to that concept uh, but you know, hacking um, is doing the same thing. It, it's, it's modifying things. And I'm just curious on how you, how you approach people uh, to um, help them, you know, hack their behaviors to become the best version of themselves.
1: The C word, it's a word that you cannot use, change. If I says, people resist to change, even though they know. It's happened, I, I've been a study, I study different processes how people modify their life. I study from how uh, alcohol, uh, Alcoholic Anonymous was started in the 12 step and how they change their behaviors to uh, behavioral therapy because it's important to know how those institutions make change in people. And they never use the word change. What I, what I do is. I ask the, the, the people, what is your problem? Tell me what is your problem and we can fix it. We can tailor the, the, the fixing. Fixing is a word that people like more because fixing is, oh, you're gonna help me. You're not gonna, you're not gonna change me. So I start, by when they tell me what happened, it says, what if I tell you that your communication problem is not your fault or the other person? What if I tell you the other person doesn't do what they do on purpose? What if I tell you that I can explain you, two of you, what is the process and what the communication is lost? Simple, if people have different ears, high, size, the communication different. Some people is audit, some people is visual. So if you have a person who is visual and you talk on the phone and don't show them things, they're going to get bored, vice versa. If somebody is, and I, I'm a certified in myers Brick, and it says when somebody is intuitive or sensing They perceive things differently. So if you're in a meeting with someone and you explain something, the sensing person is going to take it different as an intuitive. Uh, Another misconception most companies have. Introversion and extroversion has nothing to do with how present you are in the room. An introvert can look like <clears throat> as an extrovert when they know what they're talking about. I'm extremely introverted. What happened is after a meeting, after an encounter with a lot of people, an introvert is going to retract themselves and have some time alone. An extrovert want to keep talking about it. So it, the extrovert is going to feel like the introvert is Avoiding the situation and they don't want to talk. So when you know and when you show people, okay, that's how you are and it's nothing wrong with you, but it's nothing wrong with the other person either. It's how we receive, perceive, and recharge energy. When people have that simple information, it's like, oh, now I get it. So basically what we do is teach people how they are based on all the behavioral tools that we use and teach them how other people is. And some of the activities that we do is like we exchange what are the the assessment that we do and they work better. Now, when we need to talk to managers to explain this, usually we do a presentation, we do a PowerPoint or we do a video or we do a testimonial, how people have conflicts and now those conflicts were were fixed in just six hours of having your team, with games, with fun and participation, work better together.
0: Reminds me of an exercise that I had done, um, similar to Myers Briggs, it was, uh, your true colors to figure out, you know, what color your not your parachute, but you basically your colors were. And I was working for an organization and. My colors and the CEO's colors were identical. And she had, I would say, probably a 25-minute argument with the facilitator on how the two of us could not be the same. Because she did not see in me um, the things that made me that color. It was bothering her and so he literally stopped the session at a break and said let's go through this and I I was game because I was having a lot of fun with it I'm like wow she's upset so I don't know why she's upset I mean is there something to me that bothers her or, or I didn't know what the situation was but he went through it and explained it and she finally got it but she still didn't see it because it was all about delivery and how I present myself and the things that I do and she I think, you know, and, and reflecting on it, and that was you know almost a decade ago now, I, I think one of the things that came out about it was she was still dealing with some things that she needed to deal with from a leadership standpoint, because I think she had uh, and obviously very successful, she was the CEO. Uh, but I think there was still this challenger stigma that she was trying to prove to herself that she belonged in that role, which she did. And she's continued to be, you know, in, in CEO level positions since then. So she she definitely belongs. But I think there was something there where she was a little bit thrown off by how I could be the same as her.
1: Well, you you hear about the impostor syndrome, and I have it. I have all the certification that I have, and I can step in in any situation, and I still have my impostor syndrome because uh, people who is aware. And people who get certain positions is always like, oh my God, they're going to cut. I always have this dream. Somebody's going to come knock my door and says, okay, we're going to take all your titles and certification away because you're not who you say you are. And I guess most people who get to high positions have that, what if I'm not Qualify. What if I get this CEO position and they fire me or let me go where I'm going from now? So I think it's a lot of fear in people getting certain positions because they don't want to be either show that they don't know what they're doing. They don't want to show that they have doubts. They don't want to show that some days they are clueless about what they're doing. And actually it's better to have more a human connection with your people because when you show you're human, they show their human parts too.
0: I think that's something that we desperately need to see more and more in society, our workplace and everything else is the more human side of, of the human race. So Susan, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work that you do?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. I reply to all my emails and all my, uh, my, my messages. I, I take two hours in the morning to do it. I, I don't like my, my assistant to do it. You can find us at humanbehaviorlab.com. Oh, you can Google me, Susan Ivitz, and LinkedIn, and we start a YouTube channel where we have different segments where we have Ask the Expert, and now we start a new segment, whose Kika's Ladies Recipe, where I interview uh, women who have gone through horrible things, and there have been tall, they cannot do it. And one was a former CIA interrogator. The other one is a captain and the, the chief of hostile negotiation And in Texas. And she's only 40, um, sexual abuse person who survived. And now she used behavior to help other people. So we do things that has to do with behavior. We teach, we train, but we show that we can change things based on behavior with examples of real people. When, when we interview,
0: that's some awesome stuff and I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So Susan, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate you and this amazing work that you're doing.
1: Thank you very much, Michael.
0: Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.